Welcome back to I Have to Ask with Elizabeth Hess, part of the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Today's guest is Clarissa Nickerson Foreman, City Council Person for District 1 in Champaign. Clarissa, thank you for joining me today. Hi, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited about this. I can't believe that I have not talked to you before that we haven't met. But before we get into city council issues, first, let's talk about you and your family. How are you all handling life since March? I will say that my children have handled it better than most adults who have to wear masks every day. They've just been rolling with the punches and I've been very impressed. And we've just adjusted a lot to how much you have to do at home and appreciating home and appreciating what you have. And there's been a lot of that. So I think I've been grateful for that experience for the children. I know you have a couple of kids in high school, middle school. You've got a couple in elementary school. I also know you're not on the school board, but can you predict if you think we're going to go back to in-person learning this year, or do you think this year is going to be a wash? I think this year is a wash, especially with what we have coming out of of this new second strain of COVID that nobody really knows about while we're also rolling out a vaccine for the first strain of COVID. FEMA just recently declared L.A. County the most dangerous place far as you know health wise so i think we have to be honest about the fact that if the one thing we have to do is keep the kids safe and if the schools is the best way to do that we should just keep them closed but i understand that school board is in a tough position and that in-person learning is really really important for a lot of kids and i was a kid who grew up in foster homes and was put out every day at 7 a.m and had nowhere to go until i wasn't allowed back in until 9 p.m so those are the kids i think about who are wandering don't have anything to do or any structure so i do understand the need for that and so i'm hopeful that if we as a community cannot reopen the schools, that we will maybe open a school, particularly Garden Hills maybe, for those kids that are kind of wandering and staff it with volunteers who want to be there for those kids. Because I think that it's important that those who don't have structure are not in the streets. I really think that's just super important. I don't know if the school board has even thought that far, but I hate to give them more things to think about. But that's really what I think about when I think about us having schools open. I appreciate your input on that. Now, everyone has an opinion on how local government should run, but not everybody steps up to run for office to make changes. You did. When and why did you decide to run for city council? I was always complaining about like just things I didn't like. I had issues. You know, there was even gun violence back then that kind of was frustrating me. You know, and everybody's like, oh, you should go for the city council. So I go for the appointment thinking no chance. These people don't know me. There's no way. And so I found myself appointed. And then it just kind of after that, it was became second nature. You know, I remember growing up and people saying, you talk too much. You ask me questions. And one day it's like God came to me and was like, this is why I gave you that mouth. So I finally feel like I have somewhere to fit in. You represent District 1, which is very diverse. You start at Mattis, go all the way to Wright Street. You have part of Campus. You have part of Prospect Avenue, Bloomington Road, of course, Garden Hills and downtown Champaign. Some neighborhoods are well lit. They have great sidewalks. Others, not so much. So as a city council member, how do you fight for equity and capital improvements? I think fighting for equity and capital improvements is the main point in doing that, especially when you have a very diverse district as large as District 1. We have campus, we have downtown, we have the low-income areas of the North End, which, if you look at it, are so different demographically. I think if we really just look at it like that and go towards what is needed in those neighborhoods that we find to be unhealthy, we will do a better job of having that equity. But because we tend to, you know, Southwest Champaign is booming, let's keep putting things into there. And that's good. And that's great. But guess what? Those streets are going to crumble too, right? So long term, we need to find a way to keep our neighborhoods from becoming Bristol. And I think that's what we have to treat every neighborhood like. 
if I may just complain for a second about what happened when I went to Councilman Greg Stock, who was amazing, and he went through all the channels to answer a question for me. My child went to Franklin Middle School. The sidewalks stop between Prospect and Judah, literally right when Judah ends. There's no more sidewalk. It's almost a gravel road up to Franklin and Harris Road. Why have certain neighborhoods been neglected for so long, and how do others get prioritized? I'm going to say this, and a lot of people are not going to like it, but you have to look at the fact that the way our city is set up, someone did that, right? Whether that's someone in a planning department, someone on the city council, someone in the city manager's office, the people that have held these positions for 10, 15, 20 years, they have helped shape and map our community. And it's important that we have to look back at that. I know for a fact that We put in effort and we put our money where our mouth is when we want to. And I can tell you that based on looking at just a chunk of Prospect Avenue and a chunk of Springfield Avenue. Springfield Avenue looks completely different once you get to Country Brook, but it didn't used to look like that, Elizabeth. And that's the sad part is you add a couple liquor stores, a couple gambling places, and things change. No one wants to put sidewalks places where they they don't feel value. And these neighborhoods, they don't have value. But right up into Judah, before you cross the street, Somebody felt that you didn't have value. And that's the message that we are sending to these kids. I needed to hear someone else say it out loud, someone in an elected position. I appreciate you validating my exact thoughts. I tend to say out loud what everybody's thinking, so thanks. (laughs) You know what? That's a perfect segue into my next question. The city council is supposed to be nonpartisan. A lot of times I would find myself, if I was sitting in your shoes, reminding myself not to let my emotions show on the outside of my face. And an example would be the Clark Park argument. How do you keep your personal emotions out of city council business? If you saw the Clark Park discussion, you probably know that I was not able to do that. You're going to have to ask a well-seasoned council member who's a politician, because I'm not a politician, so I'm not going to be able to give you a politician answer. But the truth is, I have to remember that each person takes an elected position. They're either a personal responsibility person or they're a social responsibility person. And that's how I handle each council member and how I interact in my interactions with them. I don't approach a council member who believes that personal responsibility is how people should lead their life about how to stop gambling. That doesn't do me any good. You just have to learn how to work with those people and meet them where they are. That's the best way that I can describe it. And I use dealing with council and nonpartisan stuff and things like that, how I used to deal with foster care, right? You come into an environment you don't know of and you have to adapt. So I adapt to the people I'm talking to. And once you do that, you forget that they're Republican. You forget what their other outside beliefs are. You just realize that, okay, this person believes in personal responsibility. How can I get them to see that gambling, although it is a personal responsibility, is hurting our community. So that's just one example where everybody was on total different opposites when it came to the gambling moratorium because we were able to meet in the middle and understand why this person believed it was a personal thing and why this person believed it was us as a community. When we do that, we're awesome. We're a great unit. It flows well. When people talk about defunding the police, it means different things for different people. What do you think the police do well in this community and what could use some improvement? I believe that defunding the police is just shorter than we need to completely dismantle our law enforcement and justice community, right? Like that doesn't fit on a bumper sticker. So people are running with that. I believe that the police keep people safe. And the reason I say that is I don't get to come from a perspective of Southwest Champaign. I'm coming from a perspective of if there are no police, crime is going to go up in the neighborhoods that don't have police. And so I know that police officers, they're not 100% solving crimes on their own, but we need them there when something does happen. And I think that that's what they do do well. Things that I think that we could do better on is I believe community, 
And when I say community, I mean, when I was growing up, and I believe you have this too, I have an officer that I still know to this day, Jonathan Westfield. He was my SRO officer. And I was a kid who was a foster kid who was a runaway. He didn't come on me and arrest me. He took me out to lunch, dropped me off, talked to me what was going on. Those are the kind of relationships that we built. And when I was an adult and I ran into that police officer, I had a different relationship with him. But we don't talk about how that looks for the black community. We look at the defunding the police conversation from a community perspective. And we can't do that because white people, unfortunately, don't get to look at the world the same way that we do. And so that's all. I think when we look at the conversation from that point of view, it stops being less about this conversation is necessary. Just because you don't need to be at the table for the conversation or you feel that the police are doing a great job, we don't need to change anything. I mean, I remember growing up and police cars were in the driveways down the street. That's a huge thing lacking in our community that nobody wants to talk about. You know what I mean? Like, those are the things I think we could change that I think would bring us back to a community. And that's just my personal, humble opinion. One of the things I've heard you most passionate about is the fact that Black-on-Black crime is not a thing. Explain what you mean by that. The reason why I say that Black-on-Black crime is not a thing is because no one in the history of the world saw Ray Ray over at the corner and was like, I'm going to shoot him because he's black. Ray Ray did something to him. They had a fight. There's something else going on before we get to him being black. You shoot or you interact with or you have issues with who you are around. So typically when white crime is committed, it's typically committed upon other white people. Not because white people want to commit white crime. It's because that's who you're around. So the idea that black on black crime is somehow a bigger issue than a police officer versus a black man crime is ridiculous. It frustrates me because that's the only argument that people have, you know, when we talk about the police, it's like, well, why are you killing each other? Well, I mean, you know, there's the socioeconomic disadvantages. There's the fact that my mom's working three jobs. There's all these siblings, Like you don't know what's going on in those homes. And so it really does. It upsets me because sometimes I feel like it's a race based thing where they want to see what your reaction is going to be. Somebody told me one time, that I'm either going to decide, am I a politician who's black or am I a black politician? And I'm always going to remember that I'm black first. Let's talk about COVID for a minute. African-Americans are disproportionately dying as a result of this virus. For some people, this is somehow the first they've heard of that inequity in the healthcare system. How has healthcare failed minority communities? Minorities are not heard. Minorities are not listened to. And when I say that, I don't mean just in healthcare. I mean, even in crime. Black girls are tend to automatically over-sexualize. So if a black girl goes to the hospital and reports a rape or something like that, they're often not believed. So you take that up to a higher scale of my chest is hurting, I can't breathe, just go home and rest. How many times have we heard that people are dismissed and sent home for that? But it happens more for minorities. So when you talk about the Tuskegee experiment and you talk about watching people that you know die for lack of health care, and then somebody comes in about COVID and vaccines, girl, please. That's a community that's so disconnected. How are you supposed to reach them if you can't even reach them when they're having asthma attacks? And I know multiple people who died in my community in Champaign who are African-American because when they call 911 about to have an asthma attack, they were not taken seriously. And just something that small, how can I convince that mother, that grandmother of that boy who died of an asthma attack that she should get a vaccine? How, as a council person, are you going to overcome that? People look to you. People trust you. What is your message to get people to trust and take the vaccine? I want people to understand that this is a group project. And in order for us to all pass this group project, we all are going to have to do our work. This is not a group project where only one person can do 90% of the work and the rest of us get to get some kind of herd immunity. It doesn't work like that. Everyone is going to have to come together 
and decide that we are not going to contribute to the spread of COVID. And by doing that, we're going to say we will take the vaccine or if we are able to medically, that is what we're going to do. And I'm hopeful that understanding that long-term effect, we're already socioeconomically disadvantaged. So I just want people to understand that if COVID then hits a family that's already that way, it can also be more damaging. So to protect ourselves, you're not just protecting you, you're protecting others. So that's what I would like to say if I was able to. When you read about stupidity online, and believe me, there is so much out there to even begin, how do you restrain yourself from posting now that you're in a public position? Um, I don't. I do get a lot of interesting emails from the city attorney. I think that one of the biggest things that I've had to learn is that I am not just Clarissa, the mom of six people. That when I speak or if I say something that people react to that as the city of Champaign or district one is responding. And so I've definitely tried my best to learn how to mind my business. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Very diplomatic answer. What are some of the pressing issues that the city council is going to face in the next six months to a year other than COVID? I think that if we don't address gun violence at a very, very, very high, quick rate, it is going to destroy our community in a way that nobody, I believe, can see right now. And I say that because most people don't worry about stopping and talking to somebody and, and talking to them in their car. But people in my community and people in District 1 or people in just in the community who are African-American, even who associate with minorities, now have to think, can I stop here at this gas station and talk to her? Can I stop here and talk to him? Or is this my life? And I just want the people who are in charge and who are making the decisions to understand that just because that's not your experience, that is other people's experience. And that changes their quality of life. And I think that just the fact that the gun violence is, is affecting everybody's quality of life, I think should be a pressing issue. I think unhealthy neighborhoods is a pressing issue, not just Garden Hills. We have all kinds of neighborhoods in the community that are unhealthy, that are falling through the cracks. And I think that the sooner that we pick up those neighborhoods, that we can keep everybody at the same. I think if you stay ahead of the curve, then we can keep anything from falling off. But we have so many things falling over. I believe healthy neighborhoods contribute to helping gun violence go down. When you say healthy neighborhoods, you don't just mean physically, you mean mentally, you mean as a whole package. I mean, not a food desert. I mean, adequate infrastructure, safe walking, safe sidewalks. I believe that a healthy neighborhood also means that there's commerce, there's growth in that neighborhood, and so many neighborhoods are stalled. That's why I said we can say Garden Hills as our talking point, but in reality, there are lots of other neighborhoods in Champaign that are stalled. If we can keep those neighborhoods thriving, everybody can thrive like Southwest Champaign has grown. We've all seen it grow over 20 years, and I think we can put that out there. We've seen Costco coming, right? You know, So the North End is getting their due with the parks coming and stuff like that. So I'm excited about the things that are going, but I think just across the city as a whole, I would love that healthy neighborhoods would be a infrastructure and all those things. And I think that trickles down to all our other issues that we're working on. And the city council seems to always come together with a unified voice, even though you all come at it maybe from different viewpoints. Why do you run so smoothly? I just think that at the end of the day, the one thing about all the nine of us, no matter where we come from, no matter what our background is, we all really want to do the right thing. And so at the end of the day, no matter how bad our arguments are, or how far we are apart from our arguments on getting to the point, we just want what's best for the citizens. And so when we can come to that, we don't have an issue. You know, like I said, being politicians is great and having some politicians in council is great, but having those regular people too 
and those everyday people who join and like Alicia Beck and stuff like that, who really just want to be there and be a part of what's going on, it really does give you that balance of, man, we just need to do the right thing. I know that sounds crazy, but that really is the best way I can sum it up is the only time that I've ever, ever really understood what goes on amongst us is when it comes to things going and the community blows up. At the end of the day, nobody, it's not a fight. Everybody's like, how do we make this right? And that's why I think we work so well as I, when I look at other government bodies, that's what I think. And our city manager is such a badass. She really tolerates us. I don't know what it would be like if she wasn't there in that dynamic. She just does a really good job of whipping us in shape and keeping us informed and letting us understand what our jobs are and what we need to do. And I think that humbles us a lot, right? Because girl, if I wanted to do whatever I wanted to, and just, I'd be writing checks and girl, we'd be doing all kinds of crazy stuff, right? So I think she does a good job of helping us. And so I would like to definitely give her credit for her and the staff that, you know, because we're only as good as the staff behind us and we have an amazing staff. A lot of people run for elected positions for different reasons. Do you have any candidates you'd kind of like to give a mention to in the municipal elections or anybody coming up that we should keep our eye on? I really think that Megan McDonald in Ward 5 in Urbana, we should definitely keep our eye on. I believe she really is a grassroots person who's really going to change the game when it comes to giving people a voice. Justin and Michael Hendricks in District 3 in Champaign, I think he really will bring that voice and bring that experience of life. I believe Andy Cornstrom has done a great job at the township and don't want to discount him at all. But Rita Connerly coming in as a mother of eight, as a minority woman, as a Latina and as African-American, raising children in the community. We all know that job used to originally be held by a you know African-American woman. I believe that that could be a different look for that office and for what that office does. Those are candidates that I'm keeping an eye on just because I just wonder, shaking that vote a little bit and not having the person that you thought, I think it could be good for everybody. Before I let you go, have the last four years been a stressful nightmare for you in terms of what the hell is going to happen in Washington next? And have you been as stressed out and as insane as the rest of us? I got to be honest with you, probably before I was on city council, I was like, a, oh my gosh, the world person. But locally, I've been almost traumatized by what has happened locally in politics that I've been so consumed with what's going on here. Because while the president's stuff kind of trickles down and gets to us, the things that happen here locally is really what's shaping our community. And because we kind of have been so absorbed by what's going on nationally, I think that has kind of given us a little bit of a lax locally. And I just want people to understand local elections and school board and the commissions and the drainage district, those things, while they sound so boring, they're so important to the infrastructures of every community. And so I've lost sleep over local elections. That's how it's been. Another thing I want to add to one reason why national elections never really bothered me is because as a black person, I kind of been a, adapting has been my, like, that's your jam. Like, that's your thing as a minority. Like, you have to adapt. And coming from a president who's, oh, let's love everybody to George Wallace. Yeah, it's been a jump. But I mean, those people have always been there, Elizabeth. They just, now they're just coming out with their masks off, boo. That's all. Before I let you go, I have to ask. I have one child and there are very few things in life that have gotten me more irritated than people judging me for having one child. They asked, isn't he going to be lonely? Isn't that selfish to have one? What happens when you're gone? He'll be all alone. Conversely, you have six children and people like to judge and give you advice on how many children is appropriate. Does that get you as riled up as it gets me? I tell you, I've been dealing with people making comments to me for years, so I've gotten really witty with mine. So my main thing usually is when someone says, you know how that happens, I'm always like, yeah, that's my hobby. You didn't know. <laughs> I mean, if you're that interested, you know what I mean? Like, honestly, my whole thing in life is mind your uterus. And so if you don't have one, you know, there's that. <laughs> I'm point blank. 
because I don't want to judge someone else. I don't want a mom of one to be like, oh, my God, I can't believe you do it with six kids because I'm sitting here thinking to myself, like, man, am I selfish because I didn't just have You know what I mean? Everybody has that guilt. And so for a stranger to come up to you and be like, oh, my God, if he ever stay off you, like, you're just you're literally like, seriously, ma'am? You know, so I tend to hit people back with a little wit. You know, laughter is my jam. When people ask me why I'm a Democrat, it always comes back to my uterus because you are the people of family values and less government, yet you want to get all up in my uterus. So that's why I'm a Democrat. I freaking love that because the thing that's interesting to me is as much as people care about what comes out of a uterus, as a child who grew up in foster care, I can tell you they don't care about the children after they're here. Truer words were never spoken. Thank you for listening to I Have to Ask with Elizabeth Hess, part of the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Clarissa Nickerson Foreman, thank you so much for your time today. Oh, thanks, Elizabeth. This was great. I can't wait to do it again.